This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so we're slow canvassing for the games, for our names rather, for the uh, the low wraparound. If the high wraparound is in Michigan, what's the low wraparound going to be called? Uh, contenders already, the South Dakota, Low and Flats, and the other, the LaFontaine. I really enjoyed that one as well. We'll accept the Gilmore too. Anyhow, that's a conversation for another day. In the meantime, someone who normally stops by to kick off hour one, but was uh, at the skate this morning, and I believe he was seen on a line with Zach Aston Reese, one of the other extras. He is Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Fridge. How are you doing, Jeff? Uh, I am doing very well, Elliot Friedman. Before we uh, before we start here, um, we had a few people out, uh, either DM or, or text in or, or just tweet um, a couple of uh, stories and, and thoughts on on the passing of Peter Klima. So you and I are in the uh, the the um, in the same vintage uh, in our early fifties, and so Peter Klima was right there when we were fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. Uh, Jim Lights and Nick Polano able to to get him out of Czechoslovakia by way of Germany. Uh, he defected the first um, uh, the first Czechoslovakian player to defect to a U.S. team that Amansky and Farda had done so, but uh, to the Toronto Toros. Uh, so this was the first to an American team. He was fast. He was a hell of a player. We think of the 1990 Stanley Cup Final Game 1. Uh, wasn't without his problems and his off-ice troubles, but when I say the name Peter Klima, who's passed away at the age of 58 for all of our listeners, what comes to your mind, Frege? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, uh, uh, Jeff, was... I can't remember if it was the playoff series that Toronto played against Detroit or was a regular season game, but I actually ended up going down to the dressing room area after the game and I got a Klima autograph. I think it was in the playoffs, but I don't remember. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have it anymore. I've kept a few over the years, but I don't have that one. And the thing is too, like, the other thing I remember about meeting him that night, uh, A, he was very friendly, and B, he had a terrific mm-hmm. mullet. Uh, that, and, it, and, it was, <laughs> and, it was, and it was like bleach blonde a little bit. It was one of the first bleach blonde mullets I can kind of remember. But, uh, you know, a sad story today. I think a lot of us probably think about that goal. Uh, I think most people mm-hmm. who think, oh, of, yeah. you know, think, think of that goal against the Oilers and you know, the fact that he'd been benched for a long time and then came and scored it. But um, I remember that, the autograph. But I, I think that, um, you know, like, I, I think history has kind of remembered people like Nedomansky and Klima and Alexander McGillney yeah. um, and the Stasnys for just, you know, how different the world was. And I think a lot of times now we with so much more connectivity, it's hard for people to fathom the way the world was back then and how, and how perilous and how challenging that journey was. And um, when you talk about some of the things that uh, Klima had to battle, I often think about how maybe much like either the sudden freedom or the, the, the risk that he took how much they Mm. contributed to that. And I think about that quite a bit. 
Yeah, he was, and and from a skill set point of view, you can recall. Like, first of all, he played in the Norris Division, where everybody had, you know, four or five sluggers, and the game took a long time. And yeah. whether you were, you know, someone that engaged in the fights, but even just to get through those games, like everybody on all of these teams in the Norris Division, just to get through a game, you had to be tough, and there was no room to be intimidated. And I think what you do as well, Elliot, that here he is, you know, he's just defected, Jim Lights and Nick Polano, uh, get him out um, at, a, at, a, at a, a national team stop in Germany, uh, get him to North America, into the Detroit Red Wings lineup, and he he walks into the Norris division. Yeah. You know, the, the toughest division in, in all of hockey at that point, and even just to survive, and you know, Elliot, that at that point, Peter Klima um, where he's he came target. from, uh, he's a target man. Yeah. He, with that helmet and the mullet and all, like, he is a target. And I remember even just thinking that as a kid, like I'm sure every, whether he's playing against St. Louis or the Hawks or the North Stars or the Maple Leafs, it didn't matter. Anyone in that division, he's got a target on his back. And I just remember, Elliot, first of all, uh, the tape job on his stick was remarkable. And mm-hmm. you know, Jamie Campbell t- tweeted out a picture of a stick that he got up, uh, from Peter Klima a couple of moments ago. Um, but I, I just remember like how fast he was. Like, mm-hmm. This guy was like supremely talented, um, and that that overtime game in 1990. You know, Craig Simpson was on that team. He can tell the story, you know, better than any of us. Um, and John Muckler sat him down. I don't know what the transgression was, but he wasn't getting on the ice. And then I guess Muckler must have looked down the bench, and everyone's reaching for empty water bottles, and everyone's tired, and their tongues are hanging out, and just says, all right, Klima, show us what you got, and he scores. And it's the mm-hmm. longest overtime game in the history of the Stanley Cup Finals. And then if, if memory serves me correct, you're really good at this. You, you might remember this better than me. I think it was the next game he had a penalty shot on Reggie Lemelin. Um, didn't didn't score, but it was almost like it was going to be like the next big moment uh, for for Peter, Peter Klima in the uh, in the nineteen uh, nineteen ninety Stanley Cup final. A- anyway, it's a it's a it's a day to look look back at the uh, the, the life of of Peter Klima. You know, I got a note from a gentleman by the name of Matty Hayda, who uh, was in the process before COVID, and his publishing group that he was working with went bankrupt. Uh, had been working with Peter Klima for three years, putting together his autobiography. Not sure. I'm gonna. I'll DM him back to try to figure out where that is at. But I'm sure, as you know, Natamansky's story is a fascinating one. I'm sure Klima's story of coming over and and talk to Jim Lights, you know, CEO of the the Dallas Stars, about it. That must have been a fascinating story as well for each. Well, first of all, you're right. He did have a penalty shot in Game Two. I don't remember if it was Lemlin, to be perfectly honest, but. He did have a penalty shot in game two. So your memory there is really good. Um, You know, like Sportsnet did a a really good piece on the McGillney defection with Don Luce and and Jerry Meehan, right? Yes. Like like that's one of the best pieces like we, and I mean the Sportsnet collective we have ever done. And I would encourage people to watch it because it's an incredible, incredible, um, piece of work in terms of what that was like. And if someone wrote an autobiography mm-hmm. on Klima or someone did a movie on Klima or a documentary showing all that stuff, um, I, I, I'd be glad to read it. I think, I think it's the, like, there's still danger zones in the world and there's still places where it's hard to get out of. But I think the, the level of mystery in, of those kinds of things, like I think a lot of people in this day and age really have trouble thinking about that. 
yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you. Um, condolences to the to the Klima family, um, including the twins, certainly. Um, all right, so last night uh, it is the Leon Dreisaitl show, and it seems as if scoring four goals is the kiss of death for teams. Yeah, uh, Joe Pavelski one night, Leon Dreisaitl the next. It's almost as if, you know, I, I don't know, Austin Matthews scores three goals tonight. If you're Sheldon Keefe, do you sit him down? Uh, what did you make of the uh, the Oilers' effort last night? Uh, we're going to get to the the other series in a second, but Vegas uh, Vegas is in there first. They lead the series one nothing. Jay Woodcroft says all of our mistakes are correctable. Um, I was making the point off the top of the show uh, of all the losing teams last night and the night before. I'm not concerned about any of them. Um, are you in any way, shape, or form concerned about the Oilers after dropping the first game to Vegas? Not really. No. Um... I think now that um, if you have three goals and you're you have a scoring chance, you either pass it or dump the puck in the corner. I think those are your only two options. There's no point in scoring it because you're going to lose. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, I, I think I think I'm the same as everybody else. I thought the Oilers five on five last night simply weren't good enough. Um, they got they got yeah. beat there. I mean, you know, the big the, the biggest thing that the Oilers might have right now is, you know, the, 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 the Golden Knights are very deep. <laughs> like, their lineup is very deep. They, they're not afraid to play uh, their fourth line. We know the Oilers like to go 11 and 7. Um, you know, the, the Oilers might – like, Dayernay is a guy that – it's not all his fault. But, you know, there's, he's a yeah. guy that Woodcroft clearly believes in. You know, I just wonder, are they thinking that they might have to take him out or try to shelter him a bit more or something? Um, you know, I, I don't like to say that because I think, like I said, it's not entirely his fault. And I think he's a great story, but he struggled a bit. And, I, and I'm curious to see, you know, how they attack that. Um, I, think that I think that Vegas is a deeper team uh, than L.A. is. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I think they posed challenges in that way that the Kings didn't. Um, so that's one of the questions I'm kind of wondering about there. Um, you know, I thought even though they gave up, you know, five goals, I, I didn't think Skinner was terrible. I don't think you want to give up that many, obviously, but I, I didn't think he was bad. And I agree with Woodcroft that a lot of their problems are correctable. Um, and, you know, I said it last night, and I'll say it again, Jeff, I, I don't think Vegas is crazy about the fact that this game had to be moved back a day, but after watching Mark Stone last night and he's playing through something that's bothering him, I think this, that's the best possible yeah. thing that could have happened for the Golden Knights. Uh, an absolute blessing there, yeah. Um, do you have a thought on, albeit in a losing effort, the four goals by Leon's right side? Uh, Again, I was making the point off the top that we've seen other players. Sidney Crosby comes to mind right away. Um, You know, players that have the ability to score either on the goal line or behind uh, the goal line. You know, Gretzky had his office, but he was making plays. Uh, Dreisaitl has an office below the goal line as well, but he's scoring goals. Uh, A thought on the, uh, the big German stud for the Oilers. Well, I just think that, like you talked about the other night with Pavelski, how different all those goals were. And you, you saw that yeah. one in particular, uh, the one you're referring to. Just the skill level of the players now, Jeff, it's, it's incredible. And I, I think that um, right now, the, there was a time for a long time in the NHL, the goalies were not so great, and then they got better than the shooters. 
And now I think the shooters are better than the goalies. And the goalies have yep. to adjust the way they play because if you give them, like, the tiniest hole, you know, they're going to find it. Like, you look at that goal last night, um, you know, you look, you look at the ones the players have been banking it off goalies. You look at, you know, in the first round we were talking about the way Skinner put his skates on the post, was that giving the Kings a tiny angle to score on? If you give these shooters anything mm-hmm. now, they're going to score. And Dryside was a perfect example of that. Like, <clears throat> you see on the power play last night, you know, Stone's turning and looking at Dreisaitl. I'm not, I'm not letting you get that cross-ice pass. And there was another player, too, that was doing the same thing. They're looking, they're, they're head-checking Dreisaitl and saying, I'm not giving you that cross-ice pass. Well, fine, we're going to find another way to score on you. And, I, like, I think Dreisaitl is an incredible, like, you know, sometimes I think, like, I remember a couple of years ago when Dreisaitl won the MVP, I voted for him, and someone said to me, you can't vote for him. And I said, why is that? And they said, because, well, if you play with Connor McDavid, that's like a cheat. You can't be the MVP if you play with Connor McDavid. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard, and I'm going to vote for him. <laughs> and and like, and I, I think sometimes Dreisaitl gets disrespected because he plays with McDavid, but he's a great player on his own. Yeah, he, he really is. You know, one of the things that we were throwing around to kick off the show today is, uh, and Greg Millen texted right away saying, uh, uh, the, the, they're all equally bad. Uh, there's, you know, n- n- none of them are, let me, let me grab the text here from Millsy, actually. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, easy, dumb question, none of the above. Here's the question I threw out there. If you're a goaltender, what's worse being scored on five hole, and I can remember having conversations with Kelly Rudy about you know the psychology of pucks going through you as opposed to around you, and what that mm. does to a goalie's brain. Uh, would you rather be scored on five hole, Michigan, or from behind the red line? Like I'm always curious about which goals like really psychologically mess with a goaltender, and I've always said five hole, but then I thought, and I mean, a lot of that was just because of conversations with Kelly. But um, and then you think about Michigan, and that's a recent phenomenon, and nobody wants that on their resume. Um, but then I'm watching, you know, again, Dreisaitl bank one off Brassois, and I'm saying to myself, like, what goes through a goalie's mind when that happens? Like, you're not supposed to score <laughs> from 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 behind the red line. Do you have again? Like, I, I'll defer to goaltenders on this one all yes. day long, but for the purposes of, you know, Sports Talk Radio on a Thursday afternoon, do you have yes. a thought on what do you think is most psychologically damaging uh, to a goaltender, five-hole Michigan, or uh, from behind the red line, Dreisaitl style? Well, again, I would defer to Millsy because uh, he played, but the thing that would piss me off about that goal last night that Dreisaitl scored is that that's the way you're taught to play. So yes. if, I was yes. a, if, I, if, if I was a goalie, and I'm following my teaching, and they're blowing it yeah. by me or, or flipping it by me, that would really piss me off because then I'd be like, 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 I'll tell you the story. Like, I went to high school with, uh, with, uh, with uh, someone, and she failed like her driver's test six times. And I, I remember her saying to me that after like, she got so frustrated, she said to the teacher, like, why am I failing? And... Uh, they said, well, you did this and this. And she said, well, that's the way I was taught. 
And he goes, well, or I don't even know if the driving instructor was a male or a female. And he said to her, or she, they said to her, um, well, you're being taught wrong. And see, like her and her family got really pissed off. And like, I get that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think of that story when I'm talking about this. And if you're being taught to play a certain way and guys are scoring those kinds of goals, you're probably sitting there and saying, why am I being taught to play like this? And I know that there's a lot of people, um, you know, going taking aim right now at the, at, at the, at the RVH. And that's the way I would yeah. feel. I would be saying, why am I being taught to play like this if these are the kinds of goals I'm giving up? Like Samson, I was played really well. He had that one ugly one in game five against Tampa because you can see like half of them is saying, oh, here's my teaching. And half of them is saying, I, I don't want to do this. And so yeah. that like in, in my shoes, Jeff, that's what would drive me nuts. Yeah, one that, of my, that really would. One, yeah. one, a couple of one of my friends, by the way, just texted me. He's listening to the show, and he's like, "Stop telling this story about someone else failed their driving test six times." That's you. I'm like, no, it's it really is. <laughs> okay, you like know what? You want me to come clean on I didn't something? Fail six I, times. Yeah. I I failed my first driving test. You know what I did, Elliot? You'll love this well, one. My first well, driving that? test, I failed. Uh, doing the test, this is when they did all the testing. I don't know if they still do, um, but they used to do all the testing up at a, at a course up around the airport. And mm-hmm. I drove the wrong way down a one-way street. I didn't notice. Ooh, that's disqualifying. That <laughs> and uh, I remember my uh, my instructor said, stop the car. Or the person gave me the test and said, in Canada, we drive on the other side of the street. And I just went, and he made me go through with the rest of the tests and everything, the parallel park and all of it, and then handed oh. me the yeah, you know, come, come back in a uh, come back in a while on that one. Well, hang on a second oh, here because we may have just a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's something. So Kevin Woodley just sends a text in on this com- on this conversation. Nothing through you and being ashamed of all five whole goals is part of the problem with goalie development. If we want to teach patience on edges and not defaulting down, we can defend the edges of the net. We can't have a mindset that punishes developing that patience every once in a while if you don't get down in time. Also, if LB is being taught to play reverse VH that poorly, well, maybe he needs a new coach. Was it a failed RVH? These are all interesting. These are all interesting sort of elements in all of this. And you know what it winks at too? is we've had a couple of people tweet in about it and say these things never happened before. Like the Michigan never worked. Well, never would work when goalies were more stand-up. And when they're and, and the, their post play, they were standing and, up and they, and they weren't down. And people were coming behind the net to kill you. That is a huge one, Elliot. Yeah. That is like an the, enormous one. Well, look, like Jeff, we, we've changed the way we play defense in this league. And... It used yes. to be, and first of all, I would say, like, the goaltending coach in Vegas is one of the best. You know, Burke. Like, like, 100%. So, uh, so yeah. like, I, I, I would put a lot of faith in the way Sean Burke coaches goalies. But I, I do think that that's a big thing, too. Like, you know, like, there, the, there is no recognition, no comparison to the way that, you know, we play defense in the NHL compared to the way we did. Like, talk about the days of Peter Klima. You know, you came over the blue line and people were going to kill you. Like, you had to have real courage to go to the front of the net. And I'm not complaining. You want more offense. And the way to have more offense is to make defense a lot more permissible. And we've done that. But 
you know, like if you even tried the Michigan in the, and like imagine what you would have to go through in the eighties, even to get behind the net to be in a position <laughs> to do that. So it's just yeah. different now. Like, you know, we don't play defense like we used to. Yeah. Um, Woodley points out more a failed execution than failed technique. So there are, and again, I will, I will all, all day defer to the, to the Woodleys who, by the way, I'm going to tell tell the goalies that Woodley's ripping them. No, I I don't think he's taking a, I think he's not taking a shot. No, I I think he's he's openly ripping them, just just trashing them, trashing them right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so our work is done here, uh, uh, letting letting goaltenders on fire. Um, what did you make of the Carolina-New Jersey uh, game one? I, I mean, not to bias the jury here, but I look at this one and I say, considering how periods two and three went, um, like I was worried about New Jersey in the first. I think we all were. But looking at periods two and three, I say, okay, I don't think this thing is going to be a blowout, which we wondered about after the first period. Um, but it does remind us. Carolina's really good, Elliot, and Carolina can pin your ears back, and Carolina can do a real job on you if you let them. Well, I think I think the Hurricanes are one of the highest IQ teams in the league. They they have a system, they're disciplined, they stick to the system, they they do what they do, and even though they've suffered some really serious injuries up front, you know they've got five wins in the playoffs because. <laughs> they have an identity and they stick to it. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, somebody should have told the Devils last night the game started at 7 o'clock. Like, they just, they started really well against the Rangers in game seven. They were they were nowhere last night. You know, they just, they they didn't bring it. And when you don't bring it against a team like Carolina, you're going to get embarrassed. And, like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't panic a lot after game games one of series. Um, you know, I think that yep. at that point you can correct your mistakes and you can fix the things that go wrong for you. Like to me last night, the Devils simply didn't show up and the Hurricanes made them pay. And, you know, I don't expect that to be the same for game two, at least in the Devils. That doesn't mean that the Devils show up and they're going to win this series. It's going to be hard, but I think that they're going to have mm. to play a lot better. They, you know, they simply didn't mount enough competitionally. You can't have one shot for, I don't know, what is it, like 25 minutes and expect to win. Like, you just, you, you can't do that. Uh, you, you can't. Um, okay, so a couple of minutes here. I, I want to talk about tonight's matchups. So okay. we'll get on to, uh, to Dallas and Seattle here in a couple of seconds. But uh, how was the atmosphere this morning at the rink, Florida and Toronto game two? You know, it was, it was fine. I think... Uh, you know, I think the one, I think the, the thing that's interesting about the Maple Leafs is, <clears throat> like, for as well as as well as they're doing, and and the fact they're in the second round, I, you know, it, it seems to me that they're still tr- they're still trying to find the right the right combinations, right? Um, you know, for example, you know, Marner and Tavares had a really rough game one, so you put Marner with Matthews and. Yesterday on the day off, he talked about trying to find the right groups. And, you know, Toronto's bounced around. Now they're making another change tonight. They're putting Lafferty back in, who I think could be very useful yeah. in the series. But, you know, there's, it, it, to me, they're still trying to find all their best combinations. And that usually doesn't happen uh, seven games or eight games into the playoffs. It's a bit of a unique thing. 
But I think that, you know, I, yeah. I think they're confident they're going to figure it out. Like, to me, Florida, um, you know, we've talked about it. They're, the, they're one of the house money teams. Um, you know, they're, they're playing oh. with house money. Their goalie's hot. They've been playing playoff games for a long time. Um, you know, I, I just think they're really relaxed and they're, they're really comfortable. I think, you know, one of the things I think they're kind of looking at here is Bobrovsky is the kind of guy who I, I think there's a feeling when he plays eight or nine games in a row, he can get worn out. But he so I'm sitting there and I'm saying, okay, tonight is his fifth straight start. It would be his sixth straight game. Are we getting into a yeah. situation here where he might need a night off? But then you remember he had three weeks off before the end of the season, and they have two days off between games two and three and two days off between yeah. games three and four. And I think the Panthers kind of look at this as we might get a real break here for him. That instead of having to give him a break, we're, we could probably extend this run a bit because of the schedule. And that's obviously huge for Florida. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that is total advantage. Circling back to, um, to the point you made a couple of seconds ago, I, I'm guessing Lafferty is in there for the Maple Leafs for the speed factor. I mean, that's one of yeah. the things we saw coming off of game one is just how just how quick Florida looked against this Maple Leafs team. I'm I'm guessing that Lafferty's there because of the feet. Yes, I, I think that I think that's true. Like like Florida's never been afraid like they've never been afraid to trade chances with you. Last year when they won the president's trophy, they were never afraid to take chances and they're not afraid to trade chances and they're not afraid to do it now. I think I think the difference between the Panthers then and now and then is that they're meaner. I think Kachuk has really changed, uh, you know, the way that team approaches things. They, they've tried to add meaner guys, like they brought in Gudis, they've brought in Bennett, um, you know, and, and it really yeah. helped. But I think Kachuk is the guy who's really changed it because he's their, their best player this year, and he plays like that. So I think a guy like Lafferty, who's, who's fast and nasty, I can see definitely why Toronto wants that guy in the lineup. We'll talk uh, more about the Florida Panthers coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Steve Goldstein stops by play by play. Oh, I saw him the this Florida morning. Panthers. Okay. Yeah, how's he doing? Great guy. Wonderful yeah, guy. Yeah, he's, he's the best dressed guy at morning straight, in morning skate. Like, he's in a suit. He looks terrific. He's got his Florida yeah. tan. It's, it's disgusting, I have to tell you. <laughs> Great smile. Good look. He's leaned yeah, out. Happy he's in guy. shape. He's happy. Why are you so happy? Uh, Be quiet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, come on! You're be, be like the rest of us Canadians, just miserable, miserable, uh, and miserable anxious about hockey. Uh, okay, so Dallas. Okay, I wanna, had a conversation about Joe Pavelski with someone this morning, and mm-hmm. we were talking about if you're Peter DeBoer, what do you do with them? We had this chat on the podcast the other day, and the point that this person was making to me is, and Pavelski, by the way, skated with Domi and Marchman, so it looks like that's the way it'll probably start. Um, yep. tonight but this person was saying to me that he wouldn't be surprised if in the back of Peter DeBoer's mind he knows he's going back to the put Pavelski up on that top line with Rupe Hins and Jason Robertson eventually and his point was you know if you want to look at this tactically don't start with Pavelski on that top line do it somewhere towards the middle of the game 
and force Seattle to adjust. Don't start with it, but make Seattle make the adjustment after mm-hmm. you put him up on the top line. Like, I think eventually, Elliot, Pavelski's going to end up back on what we refer to as the best line in hockey. Do yep. you think that this might just be Pete DeBoer tactics? We're not going to start Pavelski there, but we know at some point, maybe it's mid-game, who knows, he's going to go back to it. Yeah, I probably, but I think Seattle's going to be prepared for that, right? Like, like the one of, of the things that you kind of see right now is that the Kraken aren't really phased by too much. For the first time in the playoffs, uh, they they didn't score the first goal, and they scored four quick ones. So I yeah. I, I don't think anything's going to phase them. I, I think if you're Haxtell on them, you're you're prepared for it. I, I was really impressed with Seattle last game. I thought they. I mean, there was a lot going on. They gave up the first goal for the first time. Pavelski scores four. The building's going crazy, and they and they held on. Like, if there was any question that this team was legit, they answered it again. Yeah, this one, uh, this one should be a good one. What are you looking for in in game two in, the, in this one? I think we came away from the Ottinger game just one to be a lot again. better. We're, we're... Ottinger well, that's a lot it. I can't better. see too. Cl- I I can't I can't see like. This is going to sound bad for the Seattle that might. I can see a couple of clunkers from Grubauer, and he wasn't great in the first game, but I don't know that I can see two clunkers from Ottinger back-to-back. That's exactly it. He just has to get back to being what he can be. And, you know, if he has two in a row, then all of a sudden you're really nervous. But if he's back to himself, you're you're feeling pretty good about Dallas's chances. You can't imagine you're going to see that again. He was He was really shaky, and that was really unusual. Absolutely. Okay. Um, on that, we'll wrap. Uh, enjoy the games tonight. We will be doing a podcast until the wee hours again. Uh, and we'll talk to you after the, uh, the Dallas-Seattle game, Fridge. All right. Speak to you later, Jeff. There he is. Elliot Friedman, 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, taking a break, uh, as I mentioned a couple of seconds ago, getting on the Florida Panthers page here to, to wrap up the, uh, the program. Steve Goldstein stops by the Panthers play-by-play voice, whether it's the Matthew Kachuk factor, which looms large over every game and every series. And I don't want to say that single-handedly um, he took apart the Boston Bruins, but at least he can say he chased them to distraction or rather drove them to distraction. It was a big reason why the Leafs are facing the Panthers and are not facing the Bruins. But there's a lot of great stories here, whether it's uh, Brandon Montour, whether it's Sam Bennett, whether it's Sergei Bobrovsky, whether it's Paul Maurice. We'll go over all these questions and personalities with uh, play-by-play voice of the Florida Panthers, Steve Goldstein. That's coming up in a moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. What's in this coffee? <laughs> 